0: The uh, opening of today's reading from the book of Genesis is quite astounding. It reads, The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre. Uh, the Lord has, of course, uh, ca- called Abraham. He has heard the Lord's voice early on in the book of Genesis. The Lord sets Abraham apart and and promises that through him, all nations of the world will be blessed. But here, we hear that the Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre. In technical language, that's called a theophany. It's a manifestation of the divine to man, so that uh, man understands that God has appeared to him in some form. For Moses, that was the burning bush. Uh, for Abraham, we hear that the Lord appeared uh, to him at the oaks of Mamre. Well, um, this is a text that um, is, uh, has some questions around it, because he addresses the Lord both in the singular and in the plural, in the same context. He says, my Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. And then a little bit later on, he says, let me bring you a little bread that you may refresh yourselves. And for the first time last night, when I was hearing Eric read this passage, it struck me that when these three visitors... Um, are addressed uh, address abraham they all speak together twice when he suggests that he's going to go and bring them food they say let it be so and then they all ask together where is your wife sarah but then later on at the very end it says and one of them said i will return and sarah will bear a child And I wanted to share with you uh, this morning this icon. Um, It's called the Rublev Icon. Uh, It was uh, written by a Russian man in the 1300s. It's a very famous icon. And it's about this visit of the Lord... Now, is it the Lord and two angels, or is it, in actual fact, a theophany of the Trinity that appears at the oaks of Mamre to Abraham? And so this is, the, this is an icon depicting this very passage. And um, if you'll see here, I said this is the oaks of Mamre in here. And in icon writing, different colors mean different things. And so right here, we have... There, sorry about that, ladies. <laughs> Dense. Uh, right here, we have in light inaccessible. You know, in light inaccessible hid from our eyes, um, the Father in this shiny uh, raiment of light, God the Father. Um, God the Holy Spirit is in blues and greens, divinity and creation, the breath of life that breathes over the waters. And in the middle, we have the browns of the earth and the blue of divinity in the sun, who in Jesus is both God and man. And as you'll see, what Rublev has done in this icon, which just draws us into the Holy Trinity, the life of the Holy Trinity, the communion of the Holy Trinity, is is that the communion of the Holy Trinity, one God, is taking place around a table. In the ancient world, covenants or treaties were cut, were ratified, Around peace fellowship, table fellowship. It was, that was the, the primary means by which a, a, a treaty or a covenant was made or cut. And here, if you'll see, you might not be able to see from this distance, but the eyes of all are actually focused kind of on each other, but also on this chalice that is the center Around which, and these, their fingers, their hands on the table are all around uh, this chalice as the focal point, because table fellowship in amongst the Trinity is focusing in on that which of which we will partake in our communion food. Our table fellowship around this one table at the chalice. Containing the very blood of Christ. But here we have, at the beginning of Genesis, a theophany of God, a manifestation of God to Abraham. They didn't happen very often, uh, theophanies, manifestations of the divine, until, of course, the one ultimate theophany. When Christ himself walks amongst us, when God becomes man and walks amongst us. You see, what is happening here is the beginning of redemption history. Well, the call of Abraham is the beginning of redemption history, but the entire Bible, being the story of God and his people, begins with this. Because Sarah Through Sarah and Abraham is the lineage which ends up with the birth of our Lord. Abraham begets Isaac, Isaac Jacob, also known as Israel, Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, from the 12 tribes, from the tribe of Judah, we get David, and down through the great David's greater son, Jesus is born. You see... Uh, This was not a last-ditch effort of, of God. This was at the beginning of the Bible. Redemption of the world was already planned when God appeared to Abraham. Sarah is already well past childbearing age at this point in time. It's only through the power of God that she conceives And and perhaps the Lord waited this long for it to be assured that this was of no human origin. The one who says, I will return, and you will bear, and Sarah will have a child. Uh, Echoes of another annunciation, perhaps, if you will. God's hand is already on his people to save them. And this eventual ending theophany theophany to end all theophanies because he comes and walks amongst us. This is a, a wonderful passage in, in uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians. If you ever want to just kind of delve into another theological term, Christology, anything about Christ, a Colossian should probably be your first place to go and, and Hebrews as well. If you want to know about Christ, Uh, Colossians is a great place to go. Because here this, he is, says Paul, the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. The image of the invisible God. The Greek word there is actually icon. Um, Because an icon, which we've translated to image, is an external that exactly represents the inner reality. So the inner reality of Christ is that he is the invisible God. He is the image of God who dwells within him. The inner reality is God himself. You know, we know that God exists because how can the world exist without a creator. I, I sometimes manage to get to read National Geographic. Uh, there was one recently that really caught my eye. Um, I have to say this. So I read it on the iPad, um, and the iPad has these kind of animated graphics, and, and this one was um, about planets, and there was this, uh, there was this graphic of these, all of these kind of comet, comets just kind of exploding into each other. Um, but there's this group of astronomers in, in Nice who have done these um, projections and recreations. And, and what, what they're saying is is that having made all these measurements and everything, I couldn't even begin to go into what that is, but the, that initially the, our solar system began with the planets in concentric circles. Well, anybody who's done science at school knows that the models now are kind of an elongated Form and you've got Uranus and Neptune in different places. But having done that research, they think actually Neptune and Uranus at one point in time actually switched places. So that, so that it kind of expanded. It, it grew out. And what happened with the cloud, the nebula of all of these comets that were encircling our solar system, some were pulled into these other planets and, and kind of got incorporated into the planets. And in other cases, the planets actually pushed uh, the other comets out into further out into space. And I don't know whether you, you know, you've read this about um, the beginnings, but it is now done, they've done um, radiation uh, analysis so that they have found that in actual fact, um, the universe started in a moment of incredible heat and that the universe since then, it started small, the universe since then has been expanding outwards ever outwards and and you know that our solar system is a minute tiny tiny part of the entire universe and so when you read things like that you think well science is finally catching up with the bible uh you know the lord created ex nihilo out of nothing and uh, and and out of chaos And indeed, this is is what the article says. Now, they're not religious at all, but they're saying it was chaos. It was initially chaos because all of these planets are just kind of then going into each other, but it finally stabilized down into the orbits that we currently know of. Uh, Paul puts it this way we we know of the existence of God, he says, because his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Um I might have, uh, I'm sure I have, spoken of Julian of Norwich before now. She was an English mystic, again, pretty much around the same time as Rublev. She was in England, he was in Russia, she was a little bit later. Uh, a time when plagues were, were running through Europe and England decimating, um, actually taking away in some areas 30 to 40% of the populace. And um, she was given last rites, actually. We don't know whether it was the plague, but it probably was. And at that point in time, she had these um, visions, and she wrote them out in a book called The Showings. Um, And I'm going to share just a brief couple of this, but she's got one uh, where she is recounting that she saw in this vision, said, he showed me a little thing, the size of a hazelnut well you know how a hazelnut is tiny it's a tiny little nut it lying in the palm of my hand and to my mind's eye it was as round as any ball I looked at it and thought what can this be and the answer came to me it is all that is made so then I wondered how it could last for it was so small I thought it might suddenly disappear and the answer in my mind was, it lasts and will last forever, because God loves it. And in the same way, everything exists through the love of God. God made it, he loves it, and he cares for it. When we think of the vast expanse of the universe, not just our solar system, but Beyond that, we don't even know exists, but it, but it's expanding and it's going on out there. And the image that in God's hand, is like a little hazelnut, and He holds it all together. It exists because God wills it to exist, and it continues to exist because God continues to will it to exist. Uh, The deists would tell you that God created the world and then stepped back and just let it get on with itself. But that's not the God we read about in the Bible. God doesn't create and then leave to chaos, to its own devices. God creates and then cradles. God creates and keeps in his mind all things in their place. It is because of his love that we continue to exist. That we even continue to be in Christ, the fullness of that God exists. In him, Paul says, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Not just a little part of God, but the fullness of God, God himself, Jesus put it this way, he said if you had known me you would have known my father also from now on you do know him and have seen him and then he addresses Philip, he says have I been with you so long and still you do not know me Philip whoever has seen me has seen the father do you not believe that I am in the father and the father in me And the writer of the letter to the Hebrews puts it this way In these last days, he's spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. It just needs his word for us to continue in existence. We exist because God wills us to exist. Because of his great love for us. Through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. See, God himself came so that our separation from God was eradicated. The original creation was made perfect until sin came in and separated us from God. We could no longer be in communion with God. And so he returns... This is the fullness of the story of God. He returns and through his shed blood we are reconciled back into the fellowship of the Trinity. See, we are incorporated back into this fellowship. We're incorporated back into the life of God himself. He comes as the greatest theophany to walk amongst us so that he draws us back into this holy fellowship through his shed blood on the cross. Through the blood of Christ we become incorporated back in. We are back into this fellowship with God. It is God himself who reconciled us in his fleshly body through death. We were once estranged, says Paul, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. And yet through this, through this finished work on the cross, through Christ's shed blood, we are made holy and blameless and irreproachable. Through this finished work, through this incarnation, through this sacrifice, through this shed blood, through this chalice, we are made and presented to God holy and blameless and irreproachable. In those wonderful words of that Scottish uh, minister, Robert McCain, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. A mystery hidden throughout the ages Paul says this means of reconciliation was a mystery hidden throughout the ages but now revealed he's brought about reconciliation through the blood of his cross this that was designed the time of Abraham is now brought about Reconciliation through the blood of the cross, drawn into the very life of God himself, now revealed to us. And what it is? What are the riches of the glory of this mystery? The riches of the glory of this mystery? Christ in us. The hope of glory. A theophany that is not just external to us now, but that comes through his shed blood, through that reconciliation, Christ in us, the hope of glory. We are promised glory and Christ comes and dwells within us the God who holds the universe in the palm of his hand like a small hazelnut deigns to come and make us his home. Christ. In us. If the fullness of God dwells in Christ, and Christ dwells in us, then the fullness of God resides in us. And I quote again from Julian of Norwich. She said, We had our beginning when we were made, but the love in which he made us was in him since before time began. And in this love, we have our beginning. He wants us to know that the noblest thing he ever made is humankind and its supreme essence and highest virtue is the blessed soul of Christ. Our soul is made to be God's dwelling place and the dwelling place of the soul is God who is not made. God who is our maker dwells in our soul. Our soul which is made dwells in God's being through his essential being. And she says this, our Lord opened my spiritual eyes and showed me my soul in the middle of my heart. I saw my soul as large as if it were a kingdom. And from the properties that I saw in it, it seemed to me to be a glorious city. In the center of that city sits our Lord Jesus, true God and true man, glorious, highest Lord And I saw him dressed imposingly in glory. He sits in the soul in the very center in peace and rest. And he rules and protects heaven and earth and all that is. In all eternity, Jesus will never leave the position which he takes in our soul. For in us is his most familiar home and his favorite dwelling. Christ in us the hope of glory, his most familiar home and his favorite dwelling. C.S. Lewis once said, the inside is bigger than the outside. There's this kingdom within our soul. If you've ever done meditation or contemplation, uh, you go inside and you find this amazing kingdom, this glorious city where God resides where Christ comes in and is seated forever. The God who holds the universe in the palm of his hand, who created all things out of nothing, and who holds it together in his love. You know, sometimes I think we make God into a genie that we hold in our pocket and take out every once in a while and to rub. But this is God, created the universe further than humanity has ever yet explored, out of nothing. And it is still expanding and he holds it together because he wills it to continue to exist. And then he comes as the final theophany to live with us. To dwell with us so that he knows our fears, so that he knows our burdens, so that he knows our suffering, so that he knows our joys, so that he knows all of the pains of being human. He knows all of that and dwells secure in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Everything in the palm of his hand, and he's seated within us. I ask you, beloved, today are you suffering? Are you burdened? Are you fearful? Are you anxious about anything? He says, Cast your burdens on me. He's not a small God. We can take out and rub when we feel like it. He is the God of the universe and he has chosen to dwell in you and I at the very center of our being. Christ in us. The hope of glory. Lay your burdens on him. He holds the universe in his hands. He can take your burdens and bring you peace.